Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. My name is Bree, and I am joined today by someone I have been so excited to chat with. Author Christine Lynn is here. Christine, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I am wonderful, Bree. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's just a bit surreal to be on a podcast that I've been listening to for so long as a guest. So thanks. Thank you. Well, this is your first time, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I am I'm a debut romance author um, with Harlequin. So that's uh, that's a new fun thing that I get to say uh, as of Ju- or sorry July twenty fifth. Uh, my my first romance with them is coming out in the medical line, so that's exciting. But I've done a lot of romance writing in with smaller presses before this, um, and I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, and so I, I've been leading this very full life that um, I'm lucky enough to, to have all of these sort of hats I wear, I guess. Just in that little bit, I like jotted down things that I wanted to talk about, but let's start at the beginning. Um, Tell me how you became a romance reader and then like kind of give me where the inspiration for writing came from. Oh my gosh. It's funny that you mentioned it that way, Brie, because I, um, I came by romance reading uh, this is going to sound horrible, but, but as I became a romance author, um, so I got my degree in, in literary fiction, um, my master's degree in literary fiction, and I was a teacher of English and I sort of read everything that I was being told to read, I guess, uh, you know, for education purposes and all that jazz. Um, and I didn't read for fun in the way that I do now. I read for fun, what I thought, I should be doing. Um, So I came by romance uh, reading because I watched nothing but romances. Like I watched rom-com after rom-com and thought like, I want to start to create these stories. So I started writing them as I started reading them for homework. Like, well, how do I do this well? Um, So I'm not the traditional like stole my mom's Harlequin out of her bag kind of author, which makes this even same. <laughs> oh, you're not. How did you? How did you get started? Because I know you. Yeah, no, I. I didn't start reading romance until like um, I was about to turn. I was like, it was two weeks until my thirtieth birthday, and I was watching Hallmark, and I was like, why do you watch these every year? And you've never actually read a romance novel, <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it, and I, I'm so glad to know that because I felt, um, you know, I read these folks. Um, you know, bios, these other authors that I've come to really appreciate and love. And now I'm like, well, what, what was I missing? Cause my, you know, I was, yeah, 36, 37 years old by the time I picked up my first real romance, right? Like I was, I, I read Twilight and I read 50 Shades, um, but because they were the popular thing to do, right? Not because they were mm-hmm. romances, but now that that's what I read, I'm like, oh man, I've been missing out. <laughs> I want to redo. So I have to ask like a nerdy question. So if you read, so you, you've read Twilight, um, how, as a teacher, how would you teach Twilight? And here's the funny thing. I did teach Twilight this semester, um, um, back alleyway. Um, I, you can't see it, but I'm like talking with my hands cause I'm trying to, to really think through how I approach this with my students. And, um, so I taught a class called, um, uh, modern love, and it was the history of the romance novel and love stories. And and the first thing we did, of course, was distinguish between what's a romance and what's a love story, because you know that's the age old Twitter argument, right? Like, 
Is it a love story uh, like what Nicholas Sparks does? Or is it a romance? Because they end up happily ever after. Um, and then we looked in at the the history of it. And of course, we started with Jane Austen and and some of the, the classic romances that, um, believe it or not, I did grow up on. I just didn't know what they were at the time. Um, and then we got to Twilight and Brie, it was hilarious talking about that because I had these students writing these fabulous papers on like toxic masculinity in Twilight. And we really dissected it. Um, and we looked at, gosh, we didn't look at the literature and the writing of it. I know there's a lot of mixed feelings about, um, you know, Stephanie Meyer's writing of it. Uh, but we looked at the characterization, what makes it a romance? What are some of the character flaws? And man, we had a, we had a field day. It was a good time. I guess one of the things you can take away from it is those stories capture like the juicy goodness of being like your first love, especially like as a teenager. Well, and that's what we really, you know, we, we looked at all of these aspects that, that we had to for ac- academics, right? Cause this is a college honors English class. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it came down to was every single person in that room, uh, which was, interestingly, 90% female because they got to choose whether or not to take this class, right? So that was a, I love it. a thought experiment for me. Um, but even the gentlemen in the room, everyone had read Twilight and most of them had read Fifty Shades, which of course is, is the fan fiction of Twilight that came after. Um, and both of them catapulted these authors into like astronomical success, but Twilight and Fifty Shades crossed every boundary, right? Like I, I only know a handful of people who read Harlequin um, lines, you know, like the medical or historical or whatever um, regularly, but everybody has read Twilight. It feels like it's, it's bizarre. She did a, she did a magical thing with that. Yeah. Okay. So I've never heard of a degree in literary fiction. So mm-hmm. you're not, I'm assuming you're not reading like which I think is so cool because I'm like, I've never heard of this before. <laughs> Usually when I hear people like going to college um, and pursuing like something in that that realm, it's like they're studying classics or were you reading classics or were you reading like contemporary literary fiction? No, that's actually a great question and uh, distinction between the two. So my degree is actually in creative writing fiction, but all of the classes because of that, we had to have sort of a literature background um, because I will, the hill I will die on is, um, and, and, and my college agreed that you can't be a good writer without being a good reader. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah. We read a lot of contemporary literature as our literature degree uh, component to the, to the fiction part because what we were writing was contemporary. Um so we did do some classics. I took a Brit Lit class that was just awesome. We read um, all these Booker Prize novels um, and, you know, kind of got to pick them apart and look at the way that history played into it. Um, but a lot of those were contemporary also. Um, so, yeah, it, I feel very lucky because I also went back to grad school later after I'd had my daughter and, you know, quote unquote, figured out what I wanted to do with my life. Um and, and so, yeah, I think it was neat to be able to to go back then because I hadn't read a lot of the classics since high school. And, you know, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but that was a long time ago. 
with your this is so cool i mean i just i love academic nerdy academic talk so just humor <laughs> me for a little <laughs> you're so, a teacher this is great <laughs> yes so when you how did the modern love course happen did your school come and say hey would christine would you like to teach this were you able to like come up with the books to talk about or how did all that happen and like what other you know romance novels did you and the student because I used to I used to love like you would post like y'all you had like a book club with some of the students because they were like really into it and I was like oh this is so fun so how did you come up with all of like the the books to read and talk about yeah oh gosh so that was the best part they came to me because I'd been teaching um it they weren't my full-time job um I taught at the university full-time in both the English and this the first year seminar departments and I taught for honors on the side because this is a little unknown fact I don't share with a ton of people. Now I'll just say it out loud for the podcast and the world at large. Um, I failed out of my honors program in in college. Um, I I didn't go to a community college as I maybe should have because you know back then we just sort of if you were a, a star high school student because I love academics, uh, you just go right on to a four year university and you don't think twice. Um, but I wasn't prepared for it. And so I didn't do well. And when I went back to teach at the same university, interestingly, um, it was sort of this badge of honor to be able to teach for them at this thing that I had, yeah. I had failed out of. So I, I was teaching, you know, basic uh, honors English, the, the 190 or 101 class. And then they came to me and said, gosh, we really need someone to fill in for this 290 class. You can build it to be whatever you want. But what they didn't know is I had been secretly building this class for like, you know, three years. Like if they had <laughs> the opportunity, I've got this modern love class because I, by then I'm, I'm indoctrinated into this romance world and I'm seeing it everywhere, like eating, sleeping, breathing. Um, gosh, there's romance in everything. Like Harry yeah. Potter centered around it largely. Um, Golden Compass, right? There's all of these, these other books that you wouldn't think centered around it. So I wanted to teach like what, why is this so important to us? Um, yeah. So I came up with the books, the syllabus, the, uh, the assignments, which were so stinking fun. Um, and, and we read everything. We, uh, the book club that you mentioned, uh, the, the students all wanted to read more Colleen Hoover. Um, yes. So, so that's what we did. Cause it wasn't on my syllabus. Um, Colleen, I, I put, uh, four books on my syllabus, and two of them were um, books about romance writing, you know, critiques on them. And then two of them, uh, we did uh, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors, and then, of course, Pride and Prejudice, and then watched uh, the Kira Knightley movie, because it's college. <laughs> you get to do yeah. that. Um, but the students- That classic hand-touch scene. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you can't unsee it. You can't. I mean, and he was just so great. I'm did he go on to do other things? Do you know? Not to put you on this. I have no idea, but I will always think of that classic. Oh my gosh. He touched my hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. And my students were dying, you know, like three quarters of them hadn't seen the movie. Um, only two of them had ever read the book before, which I found fascinating. That's a whole different, you know, subject about what, what are we teaching in high school English classes now? But um, no, we had a good time, but then, uh, sorry. So they got to pick the book they wanted to focus on for their final research paper um, off a list that I drummed up. Um, so of course I put Twilight and Fifty Shades and um, Colleen Hoover and, and that way everyone got to pick a different one and we got to cover more 
that way. Um, but then so many of them wished that they had done Colleen Hoover that we started a book club. So that's how that. Oh, okay. Very sweet. <laughs> it was student driven. And one of my Barnes and Nobles locally is um, not very far from the University of Texas at San Antonio. And like anytime she has a book, like the it, there's like two shelves and a table. And I've asked the bookseller like, why so much? Yeah. And he's like, because we know we're going to sell them. And like, I just love seeing all these like college age women like storm that store, <laughs> getting her books. And I'm like, does she know her demographic? Like from your students, like, did you get any takeaways? Like, what was it about her books that they were loving? So gosh, this was one of the topics that, because, you know, the class was set up where we talk for a couple minutes. I'd give them, you know, some sort of mini lecture and, and on our marketing one, you know, it took the whole day because Colleen Hoover is this magical, uh, she, she's the unicorn, right? Um, it's right time, right place, and just the right spark at, at a time when there was like gasoline in the air and TikTok and book talk catapulted this woman um, with that audience. So I think it's, you know, judging off what my students had to say, it's multifaceted. She had a good story to tell that resonated with a lot of folks, and she marketed it to people who were ready to read and hadn't been reading for fun in a long time, which is another interesting phenomenon. I don't know if you see that as a teacher, but like not a lot of folks read for fun anymore, at least. Um when I talk to my college students, right, they're like, nah, we're, we're watching Netflix or video games or, so I don't know. It's wild. Her success has been really cool to, to track. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, this, this is going to be, so this will be my first year teaching and I'll be in sixth grade oh. and I'm sitting here. I, I just finished this book called reading in the wild by Donalyn Miller, which I loved. Um, and I've seen a lot of reviews that she has a previous book called the book whisperer that people are like this one's even better but it's all about like instilling a love of reading in in kids mm -hmm. and I'm like I'm just like I, I want to walk in there and be like reading is cool we should all do it but I'm like I know these kids a lot of kids don't think reading is cool so I I'm really interested in like how do I how am I going to do it you know how am I going to get them to buy <laughs> buy into what I'm selling so <laughs> having a class like yours like where a lot of them interested in romance or were they like, how did, how do you think they bought into the class? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I think a lot of them were interested in romance. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, that has been maybe an unfailing demographic that hasn't really waned in readership. And if anything, I think the pandemic showed us um, how much romance reading has just, you know, sort of gone into the stratosphere in terms of sales, book sales, and um, Kindle Unlimited, and all of these ways to access um, went through the roof. And they came to me, I think, because they loved romance in general, and, and the idea of a love story, um, but asked outside of that, and, and many of them weren't reading much, much else. And they picked up you know, that kind of reading in college. So high school and junior high, you know, you're going to be reaching your students at such a cool time, I think, to keep them interested. Um, because I think they, they tend to drop off in middle school is what I'm hearing. 
you you kind of asked yourself like why is this important like as you were preparing to start the teaching of the class mm-hmm. and now that you've taught it like why do you think it is important for us to have courses that focus specifically on romance ooh that's the million dollar question um and what's neat is my students answered it for themselves because, you know, I could stand on my soapbox all day and tell them why this is such a cool world to be a part of, right? And and the books are so cool. Um, the stories that they tell are so aspirational. But what's so cool about what happened with these students organically is they came to this, uh, this massive conclusion that people look down on romance authors all the time. Um, and readers, and it becomes this sort of guilty pleasure that we secretly hide. And I think it was putting it into an academic sense and, and looking at ways that romance has been in academia for a long time, because there were, what they saw was there, there are a lot of academic articles about romance, reading and writing and all of that. Um, so they got to pin a different label on it for a minute and pretend it wasn't this taboo subject. And gosh, I would, I really thought about it, Brie. And if I went back for my PhD right now, I would do, I would do my, uh, you know, dissertation on that subject. Like, uh, why is it romance gets such a bad rap, right? Um, well, because it's by women and for women and it's, I don't know, it's, that's how it started anyway. That, that was the hope is that it, it, you know, would spur women to read, um, independently, but it's, so much bigger now. Anyway, I could go on for days. That'll be my, look out for my dissertation someday. (laughs) That'll be the hill that you die on. And I'll be like at the bottom with torches like, yes. (laughs) I'm going to drag as many of us up on that hill as possible. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to storm that hill and just sit on the top of it with you. But I do think, you know, one of the beauties of the TikTok is Mm -hmm. you do see like, all like just these like from young girls to like older women like I I do feel like the culture is shifting a little bit and I do think that it is just kind of the beauty of the pandemic I mean people wanted joyful things and it's like here's this genre that's been like spreading joy (laughs) for years that I think people gravitated towards so it does feel like it's shifting a little bit in such a good way you're right Um, and it's neat to see, like you mentioned these different demographics. And I think that's the coolest part about all of this is, you know, even my students were saying, um, and and I see it on, on Twitter all the time. Um, yeah, my mom did that or my grandma did that, um, and and read these books, but they're actually really good. Like, yeah, Yeah. isn't that weird? (laughs) I always love the, like your mom's romance. And I'm like, do you know what your mom was reading? (laughs) You should actually take a peek. That's my favorite. My parents both read Fifty Shades and my you know, dad will kill me for mentioning this on, on the air, but it was hilarious because they're both such avid readers, right? And it was the book to pick up. And I remember I'd already read it by the time I saw them and I was like, oh God, <laughs> <laughs> so bad, but so great, right? <laughs> so tell me, okay, you know, we, we have this, this, we have your first Harlequin medical coming out, but you did you know, write books previously. So take me through the journey of like publish your, your publishing journey. Like take us through all of it. How did it get started? Oh gosh. Uh, sure. So I actually started publishing, um, under, you know, Christine Lynn is a pen name, uh, because I, I really didn't want my students to find me. (laughs) Um, so I started publishing under my given name, just literary fiction at first, again, because that's what I was told we do. Um, and, 
but I, I was watching, you know, anytime I was like at the end of a long day or whatever else, I'd be putting on PS I Love You or um, 10 Things I Hate About You, right? Like these were my go-tos. Um, and then this young woman in my program, in my, my grad school program, um, was talking about how she got her whole book published, not just short fiction like we were doing. And we were fascinated, like, oh my God, what'd you do? Like you got your thesis published. You're, you're just the first one of us. And she was like, absolutely not. I write romance on the side, like forget my thesis. And she gave us permission. And I say us, because then there were three of us who were like, tell me more. How do we do this? This is, um, I, I, I had been thinking of it for a long time and sorry, I'm going to interrupt myself and go back way further, like 10 years prior. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> this uh, scene from Lethal Weapon 4 uh, totally stuck with me. And this is like the original Lethal Weapons, right? Not like the TV show that's on now. Um, and Mel Gibson is is talking to his partner um, and trying to figure out why Sergeant Murtaugh has all this extra cash, you know, to like spread to his kids and whatever. And they think he's on the take. They think he's a dirty cop. And then finally in this like firefight scene, um, it comes out that his wife is a romance author on the side and she has this pen name and she's made them this extra discretionary income. And I said 10 years ago, like, and maybe more at this point, uh, that'll be me. I will do that today, but I never gave myself permission because there was a taboo around it uh, in my program, in, um, you know, the people I talked to about books and reading. So yeah, then fast forward this woman in the hallway, I can picture where I was when she said like, are you kidding? Like, no, I, I publish romance novels. Um, and I wrote my first one in four weeks that winter. So like maybe two weeks later, I sat down at my computer and just got this whole thing written. Um, and that'll actually, that book is going to be coming out in a different iteration in September. Um, but yeah, then I didn't stop. And because Brie, I don't know if you've talked to other people uh, exactly about this, but it's the most fun I've ever had. Like, I know you really write too. Do you feel that way? Like, like, I feel like it's joyous to write these stories. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm getting started. So it's also really hard, but it's so exciting at the same time. <laughs> it's so exciting. <laughs> it is. It's totally both. You're right. Um, I think it's just the most fun because four weeks though. Oh my God. And it was like a 75,000 word book. It was monstrous. Um, but all I needed was the permission. And that's so awful to say, because we really don't. Right. And I think especially, um, as women trying to break into the publishing world, it feels like we need that, but, but we don't like, I, I wrote that one for me. Um, and I'll forever be proud of it. It was a story that just needed to be told, but, but anyway, I, after that, I couldn't turn off the tap and I came up with a couple different stories. Um, but I didn't know what to do. Like, uh, I, I actually just met with the editors here. Um, and, and sorry, I'm in the, I'm in Ireland right now, but I flew over to the UK with my daughter from Ireland just for two days so that I could meet the Harlequin, um, and Mills and Boone editors. And they were, the nice- I loved those oh. pictures. I love seeing your daughter there. I was like, oh, that is such a special experience. Oh, she chatted them up. Um, honestly, more than I did. It was, it was pretty <laughs> great. Cause she's a, a little writer, a budding writer, as well. And she writes romances and things. But um, what I was telling them is like, I started my publishing journey thinking, oh, I'm a presents author. I'm going to write these like 
real, um, you know, billionaire, high aspiration romances. Um, but man, oh my gosh, that's what and I you're in people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I'm way too dark and twisty for that. Like I write these medical romances, you know, that are are uplifting, but they have these troubled pasts and. So it took me a long time. You know, but medical feels very similar to Presents, though. Like, medical feels like a cousin of Presents. Because usually, I think it's the heat. Some, they have a lot of similarities. They have a lot of similarities, in my opinion. It's just because the, the money is there. Yep. The money is always there. It's just the profession and the location is different. Like, I don't know. I don't know, guys, listeners. You don't come for me. But I personally feel like they're very similar. Nope. And you know what? Uh, I'll, I'll be the one at the bottom of this hill uh, supporting you <laughs> because I do agree with you. I think that's where I found my, uh, that bridge, I guess. Um, I wanted that aspiration. I wanted the, I love a good millionaire. It doesn't have to be billionaire, right? Like I'll, I'll settle my expectations a tiny bit. Um, but I love a good, you know, wealthy romance where they, they get to have a little bit of fun and play with that world. But medical also invites that drama. Um, yeah, just you know, it's inherent in the in the job. And my dad, I, I grew up; he was a physician, so I grew up with these stories. There it is. Okay, yeah. okay, um, okay. So you thought you were going to be a presents author? How <laughs> did you end up in the medical line? Oh gosh, you know, um, a couple failed presents. First of all, uh, I kept sending sending these presents off, and they were all very sweet with their their feedback. Like, you know, it's just it's it's missing this certain part, or it's missing this certain part. Um, and I kept having these ideas around these sort of medical settings. Um, the problem is I love reading a good presents and I loved reading medicals too, but I thought because I loved to read them that that's what I had to write. So I, I forced the issue, you know, for three or four books, um, that I then published with a smaller press and, and called it a day. Um, and then I just, I, I, again, remembered that story from the beginning and gave myself permission to sit down and write not what I thought. I should be because I, I read in that vein, you know, um, like these are the stories you tell. So yeah, same thing. And I knew it was a right fit because it came out in like two seconds. Um, wow. and, and not that that's the aspiration for authors. Right. But for me, that was very telling, um, because I, I didn't have to force it. It was, you know, yeah. Now, granted, I did like 16 rewrites of the thing, but the idea came pretty quick, which is cool. It's almost like it's like, hi, Christine, you're supposed to be here. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yes. It's like, uh, you know, the sign like, oh, all right, right over here. Medical. <laughs> we see you. Um, yeah. How about you with with all of that? Because is that an area like the medical romances? I know you read sort of across all the lines, but. I do. And every time I like, I mean, I read all of them. And every time I read a good one, I'm like, I want to write this. <laughs> I really wanted to submit back during the blitz that medical had. And I mm -hmm. had this whole trout, like I still have like this whole travel nurse idea. It's always like the heroine and her issues that come to me. And I struggle really with 
my hero. I'm like, I I don't know about you, but the the heroine's just like my girl. She came to me. I could see her and everything. She was getting ready to go to work. I knew what city she was in and how long she was there. And I was like, but you have to fall in love with somebody. So like that's where I struggle. <laughs> so I'm still chipping away at it, but I did not get it in time for the blitz. So the goal is to like one day actually I just want the experience of being part of one of the blitzes. But yeah, every time like I have a whole small town series in my head that I would love to do for heartwarming. I mean, I love the romance line. So like every time I read one of those, I'm like, I want, I want a pink book with my name on it too. So we'll see. We'll see. You know, I aspire to be like the next Maisie Yates with books in like multiple lines or something. We'll see. That woman, I'm so glad you brought her up because she is like the gold standard in this industry right now. And, and there are so many of them, right? Um, I follow Terry Wilson um, and everything Terry. that she's doing. And I've said, like, I want to be Terry someday, but with with my books with a little bit more heat, right? Like, I want to be spicy Terry. Um, yes. <laughs> but Maisie Yates, man, she's popping out like a book of a week. It's amazing. She's prolific. <laughs> Tell us about brought together by his baby. I love this story and it's so horrible because I I wrote it right and but I I say it coming back and I guess falling back in love with it like this is something nobody tells you about publishing or maybe everybody does and I wasn't listening that it's not write the book that you want to read it's write the book that you want to read 342 times cuz that's and I knew it but um Hannah in medicals and she also uh, is an editor for the pink books for the romance line um so hopefully you know you'll get to work with her someday cuz she is phenomenal um but she brought out the truth of my story I guess so it started as this little seed of an idea um I write a lot of military characters because I I was a military spouse for a number of years and volunteered um, with the military in in sort of like a teaching aspect. And um, some of the classes that I've taught at our university have been for veterans. So I just have a soft spot um, for them and they find their way as my as the heroes in my stories oftentimes. So I had this idea. Um, it's super corny, but it's like one of those things that just sort of shows up in your head. I don't know if it was like in a dream one night or, um, but I knew that he would be declared missing uh, by the military when he was on an active deployment and uh, something would have happened to his spouse after she gave birth. So this baby was essentially an orphan and the woman who took her in would fall in love with this baby, of course, until the, the, this guy was found um, and brought home. And then what happens when these two both, you know, he wants a chance to raise his daughter, but she's fallen in love with this girl. And so they're sort of rivals, but rivals over a child, which is like <gasps> the worst kind of pawn to have. And so the story was there. Um, it just took some, some pulling out to figure out, you know, how do we tease these other conflicts in this medical setting? Um, but yeah, I'm in love with it because, you know, there's like a baby with squishy cheeks. Can't beat it. <laughs> writing in a writing a medical you don't like overdo it but you do give us scenes of them like on the job so like what did the um like research for those moments look like oh my poor dad the book is actually half dedicated to him you know it 
it's dedicated to to Isabel, my daughter, um, always and forever. Um, and then also to my dad for being that that guy on the other end of the phone when I was like, hey, this this character is an anastolic shock. Um, is that realistic? Is that <laughs> so between my dad and Google, um, you know, I've learned a lot about the medical world for sure with research. But the I guess the hardest part about medicals for me, and it was easier when I was writing um, my version of presents, that's what we'll call them, is all the side characters, right? So there's there's nurses and there's these support characters that I feel deserve a voice because, uh, you know, meta, you know, the world of medicine and all the people in it are the unsung heroes, especially, gosh, COVID showed us that truly. But I, there's no room on the page, right? It's like a 50,000 word count. So you really have to distill your thanks for these side characters. So now what I've realized is, oh, that's fine because I'll just write their story next. <laughs> so it's been it's been a learning curve for sure. And I remember a while back, I saw that you were working on a continuity, you and Denise and Wheatley. Is that still happening? Oh my gosh, it is. Um, and I love a medical continuity, especially with medical. Y'all don't mess around. We usually get them in the same month. <laughs> so it's not <laughs> like you have to wait. <laughs> Even better. So the, I love because you know more about it than I do. <laughs> Um, it's been very sort of hush hush. We just got like a, a bare bones timeline. So I know that uh, Denise is submitting her medical that she's working on right now sometime in August. So they said sometime in September, uh, we will get, you know, the one pager. And that's what's so cool is we're getting the basics of an idea that we then get to tease out in our own ways. And gosh, Denise is a one-click author for me, um, so I'm so excited she's moved over partially to the to the medical line because I love her writing. Um, so to get to work with her and and make these ideas together while we're both relatively new to the medical world is super exciting. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a cool deal. I will. Keep I cannot posted. wait. I'm so <laughs> excited for y'all. I'm so excited. I can't, I'm so excited you're here. <laughs> it's just it's great. I want people to read more medicals. I think here in the states, people. People don't realize it's a thing. I think it's very much like we, I know I had this assumption that like it was a, like all the writers of medical were like over in the UK and it's like, no, now we have you, we have Denise, we have Juliet. She lives in like Ohio, <laughs> you know, like a lot of the authors are here in the States, but it's one of those, like, you don't see it at the store. So I don't think people realize it's a thing. And it's like, they're really, really good books. <laughs> You know, I want people to read more of them. I totally agree. And I don't know why that is, you know, um, and you go into, I'm just going to use Walmart as the example. Um, you go into a store like that and and there are, there's these uh, heartwarmings and presents, of course, and desires, although sadly we won't see those on shelves as much anymore. Um, but I'm excited about the new line coming out with them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, the back side of that conversation is, but um, the cool part is I'm not shy. So I plan to ask yeah. questions uh, once these things start start happening in, in that world for me. Because it'd be cool to know, like, how do we get these in the hands of more readers? Because uh, I love reading them too. Again, these are like one-click authors for me. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, speaking of Desire, we read a book a little while ago together from Desire. We read Oh So Mystery. Right by the wonderful Nadine Gonzalez, which I believe this is a Texas Cattlemen's Club book. It's part of the, the wedding series. It is. And would you believe 
that it is one of my first uh, known Texas Cattlemen's Club. Then when I started looking it up, because I I was lucky enough, I don't know if the copy that you got has uh, The Man She Loves to Hate as well. Yes. Um, So I was like, well, you know, now I've got a second book. Um, And now I want I want to read the whole ding dang thing. But there's so many. This is so cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm very, I could probably count on one hand how many Texas Cattlemen's Club books I've read just because I'm a, I want to read everything in the series type of person. (laughs) And so I find it really awkward to just jump in. But I was like, well, this is Nadine Gonzalez. So um, (laughs) yeah. So I mean, I guess I'll read the back of the book and then I have questions that I wanted to ask you. I mean, we read it a while ago, but um, shout out to Nadine. If you ever listen to this, we love you. Um, So if only falling in love was as easy as falling into his bed, dot, dot, dot. Um, Commitment shy photojournalist Sasha Ramos, which I love when we have a commitment phobe heroine, um, is the latest in her family's long history of runaway brides. But when her sister's upcoming wedding triggers her need to flee, risk-taking businessman Nicola Williams gives her all the passionate reasons to stay. But falling in love, it will take a Texas-sized miracle and one determined bachelor to get this guarded, headstrong beauty to stay. So two words off of the back cover alone kind of got me was Mm -hmm. um, the commitment, shy. Like, uh, I want to know how we get an HEA at the end when this person is afraid of commitment and then runaway brides. I love a runaway bride in romance as well. So um, give me like your overall thoughts, just like based off of the summary, like what stood out to you? What was it like? Yes, let's read this book. So same thing because you nailed something. I think that's like so important for romance readers um, are these tropes, right? And and I know you said you um, you mentioned that you love um, oh gosh not not rivals. Um, what was the trope uh, like oh, the fake dating? Because it turns into fake dating. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I think what you said earlier about this idea of runaway brides in a romance novel is so counterintuitive to love because we love the HEA, right? And the happy ever after happens at the end of an altar in so many of these books. But what I loved about it is exactly what you said. It was, we've got this woman who's the commitment shy person, not the stereotypical, you know, hero who's a little bit commitment shy. Um, and and you find out later that it's part of like this curse they believe has happened to their family because it happened to their grandmother and then their mom and now her. And so, yeah, the back of the book had me um, had me just hooked. And then like page two, I, w- I was in <laughs> and that, uh, that's a, that's a quick one for me. So, no, this was such a good book. Yeah, I, I know Nadine. She was one of our like very early, early guests on the podcast way back in the day. And we share a love of sex in the city. And I feel like anytime I read one of her books, I just get those vibes (laughs) from her. I just love how like fun and sexy and just her books are just so fun. And they kind of they just kind of sparkle. But um, with the like commitment phobe, like you you touch on like, um, usually it's the hero. So when it's a heroine, like as, as a writer and a teacher, like if you were teaching your, your girls, your students, I mean, cause you did have some gentlemen in there as well. <laughs> does it, does the dynamic have to be different? Like for the, for it to be a, a, a heroine, like I've read a, oh gosh, it was a couple of summers ago. It was more like a literary, like I think it was more like a women's fiction novel. And the heroine too was the one that was a commitment phobe and it was a curse that she believed 
was on her family as well. And it, it felt like the reasons have to be different if it's yeah. the, the heroine versus the hero. What do you think? Gosh, I'm so glad you hit on that because, you know, that is something that we actually talked about in the class. And we have this conversation in this romance world, just as readers and authors all the time. Um, what is it that makes a, a commitment phobe heroine um, not okay when the guy can go through like a string of, and I'm speaking in binary terms here, but we know that the world of romance is opening up to non-binary characters and all of that. Yeah. Um, but in this hero heroine setup, there is a difference and, and we're breaking away and it's authors like Nadine that are doing it really well, because even though the author thought it was a curse, everyone else in the book told her like, that's not real. It's not a curse. You're fine. You are who you are and that's okay. So I loved how she went about it. Um, but it is interesting that that we as authors still feel like we have to explain that away. Um, and it's so interesting. I didn't know she was a fan of Sex and the City because I'm I'm like diehard as well. Um, and it's and they were the first batch of women on TV. And granted, it was HBO, so it was like limited TV um, to reach out and say like, "Hey, it's okay to be um, a, a bit of a player until you find out what you want." You can also never find what you want and that's okay. It was that, again, that permission granted. Um, but Nadine does a good job with her secondary characters with that. Like the other folks in it are like, uh-uh, you're fine. <laughs> okay. Total, total tangent, but I have to ask about sex in the city now. So like, who was your favorite <laughs> or who was your least favorite? So Samantha was my favorite. Um, her humor, Same. her self-awareness, um, and, and interestingly enough, my least favorite, um, oh gosh, it's not Charlotte, uh, Miranda, um, because I am Miranda and so moment of introspection, I, I always wanted to be a Carrie. I want to be the, the carefree author who writes and, and, um, you know, does what she needs to do to take care of herself in this city. Um, she has a lot of fun, but I was totally Miranda. I I'm relatively responsible um, now, right? Um, so I didn't like her character because I'm like, oh, it's like watching me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Samantha, you know, she said what she wanted. She did what she wanted. She she was aspirational romance for sure. How about you? What are where's you, where do you land? That's so interesting how you put it like that because it wasn't that I disliked Miranda. I did feel like out of all four of them, I was probably the most like her. Like mm -hmm. you get up every day, you go to work. Sometimes you hate it. Sometimes you love it. But like you're responsible. You do what you got to do. Like out of all four of them, I, I really, I feel like we got the most work from her. And then maybe like, I mean, obviously we saw Carrie writing all the time, but it was just mm -hmm. different, a different vibe. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like Samantha made the show. But then I saw this thing on Twitter recently that said, Samantha and Charlotte are essentially the same character. And now I can't stop thinking about it. And I'm like, you're in a lot of ways. It's so right. That is fascinating to me. Okay. This, this is going to be like a night ruiner <laughs> in a good way, right? Like the thing that like uh, sets you off on a different tangent of what you thought you were going to do uh, in the evening. Yeah. Now I got to give that some thought. Huh? Yeah, it it it. I'll have I'll I'll pull it up because I think I repost I retweeted it. I will find it and I will tag you so that you can read the thread. <laughs> it, it was really good. It was really good. But yeah, so I I feel like you can see kind of like that. Th like you can just see mm -hmm. that Nadine enjoys you know 
consuming things like that in her books. Like it just, it feels very girly, very, just like a lot like Terry Wilson, like her last book, her man of honor. I was like, this is her homage to like her love of like sex in the city. <laughs> it's so good. I love that people are embracing it. Um, but like the, like the book does turn into, it's a fake, it turns into a fake dating, which I yep. love fake dating. What are your thoughts on fake dating oh, or just like fake romance in, in general? Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, and we actually just had a conversation um, at the Harlequin office. So this is super funny because my daughter um, is very into like K-dramas and uh, K-pop and, and that whole world. Um, and she was talking with two of the other editors who were there about their, you know, mutual love of the same thing. Um, and they were pointing out that so many K-dramas revolve around that trope. And then I started thinking about everything that I consume and it's all fake dating to say, you know, um, I said 10 things I hate about you um, earlier, but uh, oh gosh, how to lose a guy in 10 days, right? It's like one of my favorite movies of all time. And I've shifted away from books a little bit, but it's such, a, <laughs> it's such a good trope. It's so much there, right? The threat of getting caught, the, um, you know, what happens when you catch real feelings? Does the other person have them? It's so good. So good. Yeah, I think I'm usually in it for like, I want to, I think what keeps me picking them up, if it's, is the fake romance trope is like, I want to know your stakes. What are you, what, what stakes are you giving to these two characters? Cause it is, I did, I think they are tropes that we see a lot, but I think it's for a reason. It's just, it's so fun to see, okay, how's this author gonna do, how, how are they going to pull this off? Oh yeah. Well, cause I guess that's, and I don't know, tell me if you agree or disagree with this statement. Um, that when you're in the world of romance writing, there are the same tropes that come up over and over again, and that it can get a lot of flack in the outside world. Um, there was this wonderful quote about um, romance gets judged by the worst of it and liter other literature gets judged by the best of it. So that sounds like so accurate. Yeah. Thriller and things like that. But then we we look at these things that have been either overdone or done poorly or really um, exacerbated, um, you know, these, these things that aren't working in, in writing anymore. Um, binary characters that, that do the same thing binary characters should do, et cetera. Uh, but I think what's, what's so interesting about all of that is uh, that the tropes have to get redone. That that's what we're working with. And, People like Terry Wilson, Nadine Gonzalez, they're doing it well. So you don't even feel like you're reading a typical fake dating until you're done. And you're like, huh, that was really cool. I like what she yeah. did with that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on The Runaway Bride? Oh, at, like the Julia Roberts movie? Or I mean, just the, it in general. But I mean, cool. yeah, the movie. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, yeah, I have seen that movie. I watched it for the first time at the beginning of this year. I have a lot of thoughts on that movie, but I love, I love Runaway Brides. I love Jilted at the Altar. I feel like that's always like a small, I mean, obviously it's a romance. Like it is a, I guess that makes, it answers my question, but like it's such a small kind of portion of the story, mm -hmm. but if, if it is a buzzword for me. Like what do you, what's your enjoyment or not enjoyment of the Runaway Bride? No, I love it because it's guaranteed stakes. Um, and it pairs very well with commitment phobe because there is nothing worse, whether you did the leaving or you were left at the altar, than, than that moment happening and stamping 
it on you for eternity, right? Like, how do you believe in love after a moment like that? Um, either something was so bad that it made you leave right at the at the apex of of something big like a marriage, or you got left and cool. Those are guaranteed stakes. So the other character I have instant empathy for, like, oh, you got your work cut out for you, bud. Yeah. <laughs> like this person's not going to come into this easily, right? Like I'm an I'm an insta love girl, right? Like I want it in my life, not because I think it's the easiest aspect, but because I love love. Um, you so want to instantly know. You just want to know instant. Yes. Oh gosh. My daughter and I talk all the time when we're writing these books and, and my two critique partners, I've got to give them a shout out. Um, Anna Grace and Katie Frey, they both write for Harlequin as well. And we all got picked up like within a year of being critique partners um, by different lines. So Anna writes for Heartwarming and Katie writes for Desire um, and is, you know, now looking at branching out now that Desire is going away. But we all talk about these built-in stakes. And, and I'm like, I don't want to have a black moment in my book. I just I want them to be yeah. happy. Life is hard enough, um, especially with these medical characters. I'm like, they're saving lives. Let them be happy. Uh, but we're in it for the drama. I love that Anna's your, one of your critique partners. I'm reading her first heartwarming, Nat Walt rereading it. I keep that book on my nightstand. It's so, so swoon-worthy. <laughs> Because we're reading Heartwarming this month here on the podcast. And I told my two friends, I was like, one of them's kind of a cheat. I'm going to be rereading it. Uh, but yeah, it's so good. She's so good. Oh, she's so good. And it's like a five book series. And I I read book one and I'm like, okay, that's it. Like, where do you go from here? And then every book gets better. And I'm not just saying that because she's my critique partner, but she makes my job easy as her friend and, and critique partner. I'm like this whole family, like I want to know them. And in fact, I've started sliding that family um, into my other books. Like their ranch comes up in my ranching story. Oh my gosh. She just made it so easy to fall in love with this town. Um, You know, it's like, uh, oh gosh, what's the show that I'm watching now? That's the big series, the ranching one. Um, They're in a small town. Oh, I feel horrible. And I'm on a podcast, but World Virgin River. Good gracious. Robin Carr. Virgin Uh, River. Yeah. Yeah. And where you just feel like you could move there tomorrow. And I feel that way about Anna's like, oh, I would move there. Small town. (laughs) Are you working on anything else that you can tell us about? Gosh, yeah. So I, tomorrow, I'm turning in the revisions for my second medical. um, And this one's going to be really fun. It's um, like a You've Got Mail spin. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm so excited and I'm trying hard not to gush about my own stuff because that's really tacky. But um, you should totally gush about your own stuff. (laughs) Oh, good. It's not here. Where, right? but no, it's, it was such a fun story to write. And it's actually pretty fun to revise because, again, Hannah is helping me bring out these internal conflicts of this, you know, boss CMO woman um, who can't really make friends in her industry without it sort of undermining her professionalism. So she's found this guy online that she loves to talk to about her horrible new surgeon that she has to work with. And they're the same people, which is just so fun. So they're best friends online and kind of falling for each other, but in real life, they're rivals until they're not, you know, of course. Um, So that's, uh, that's going to be coming out. It's my second, and it's in the same series, this Mercy Hospital series. Um, And yeah, and then I'm writing um, 
this three book series for Thule um, that's all ranching and and high stakes in the ranching world and fires and stuff like that. So I just turned in edits for book two. So yeah, this world is very like it, it nothing happened, nothing happened. And then everything exploded. And um, yeah, it's really cool. Oh, that sounds so fun. I love a good Thule small town romance. They're so good. They're so good. And uh, and those, you know, just like Harlequin, those folks are so great to work with. Um, you know, they're just top of the game professional. It's really fun. You are a busy woman. Okay. You are busy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I say that all the time, like these are good problems to have, right? Like we they want are. problems we hoped for, uh, to be this busy and, um, and no, and, and to get to talk to you and, and this world is so uplifting. Like, I've said that so often, like romance readers and authors are some of the best people I've ever met in my life, Um, which is why I would never consider doing anything else, right? Like we lift each other up and yeah. So thank you for having me today. This has just been, this has been great. Well, I want to ask you some fun, like round out questions. Are you ready? Just first thing that comes to mind. Don't think too deep into it. You got it. Okay. First and foremost, like you're, you, you shared with us earlier, you've been, you, you've been hanging out in Ireland. Tell us like a magical Ireland moment, whether it's like you tried a restaurant or you saw something beautiful, you hit up a museum, a magical Ireland moment. Okay. Um, well, my daughter and I just got to see, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie once, uh, it got made into like a Broadway play after the movie became popular, but the actors in it were in this concert cause he's from Dublin and it was my bucket list to see him. And I don't know if you've ever seen those old movies, um, or TV shows where they show people walking into like an Ireland pub and people just pick up instruments and start singing. And it was oh like that, like such an intimate little venue and, um, playing the guitar. There was a violinist. I mean, it was just phenomenal. Um, and thinking, speaking in this thick Irish brogue, which will find its way into a book someday because, I'm sorry, there's not much that's <laughs> in my humble opinion. Um, so yeah, we had this magical moment together of getting to listen to this great music. Yeah, it was, it was great. Well, as a mom, we, we both have teen daughters. Mine, she'll mm-hmm. be 15 in November. Mine t- How has, oh, yours is going to be 15 too? Totally, in November. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So having like, having a teen daughter, what has this experience, I guess, taught you about like your younger self and like the woman that you've become, if that makes any sense? Like reliving your girlhood, I guess, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this time traveling with her, like we're over here for most of the summer um, as sort of like a reset button for both of us. Um, it reminds me very, very much of of what it meant to be a teen and to be able to go to my mom because my mom and I are very close um, and be able to talk to her. And so my hope was to create this moment for the two of us um, that, you know, she's always come to me for things, but I'm so busy and I'm a single parent um, right now. So this, you know, uh, being able to put aside, I'm still writing, of course, because I have to, um, but to put aside everything else uh, has reset my priorities, right? Um, I think it's very easy when you're in the the muck of it to just go, go, go. 
um, and to take the time where you can, as opposed to I'm going to make this time for both of us. Um, so we have laughed harder than I've laughed in a really long time. And she actually said something. She said, either I've gotten funnier or you've gotten more delirious because you're laughing at all my jokes. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you've always been funny. But <laughs> um, no, now I'm chill enough that I can listen to the whole story or the whole anime recap or the whole, you know, because I put everything else aside. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's been great because it's brought back my yeah. teen years and and hopefully what I want hers to to look at and look like. Yeah. I just love those moments when I like stand back and I'm like, you're like obsessed with things like teen girls have been for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like Harry Styles is all over your wall and (laughs) you're looking at me crazy because I know the words is Christine Aguilera and I have to explain to you that like she was my, uh, you know, (laughs) she's from my generation. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's so fun. I think it's just. I don't know. I I have a thing of like teen girls are just so great. So having like you on as another mom of one, I'm like, how's it going for you? <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I think of that meme and it's it's horrible because she actually I don't know if your daughter does this, but she speaks in memes, and so I've learned to also speak in memes. Um, <laughs> where it's like like something about like please don't tell me about that anime show or something like that. But it is. It's like these obsessions. I'm like, oh yeah, I had them too. Like in sync was everywhere in my room. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, I think it's like that reminder, like even the older we get, it's like, it's okay to still be obsessed with things. I just, I think that's like the biggest takeaway from I I've had so far is like, yeah, once upon a time I had no problem obsessing over things, but you get so busy in life. Like you said, like you don't pay attention to the joke. You're so worried about, I got to do dinner. I have to pay bills. And it's like, take time to be obsessed with things. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's such a great way to put it because there's nothing wrong with being obsessed. And then now I can also completely empathize with my own mother where I'm like, oh, you didn't care yeah. uh, like in that same way. Right? You weren't as obsessed as I was uh, with yeah. and everything else. But she went to a concert with me because it was, you know, uh, important to me at the time. And no, it's it's a great way to put it. I'm going to be obsessed more. Yeah, we should be obsessed. Okay. You've talked a lot about rom-coms and I love rom-coms too. You'll have to come back and we'll have to like talk about a rom-com. We feel like, but like this may be hard for you since you love them. What's your favorite? Oh, good grief. Um, so I'm obsessed with rewatching a few, so I I don't really pick a favorite. Um, but I'll give you my favorite right now because of where we're at. And, and it's one of the few that I rewatch all the time. And it's P.S. I Love You. Um, in fact, I made my daughter in the pouring rain. We had like a yellow rain and wind warning in Ireland, which is like how they do it. Um, and I, I didn't care. We were going to, on the way home from our trip, drive through this national park that she was in, that Hillary Swank drove, where she met Gerard <laughs> Butler. And it's going to be so great. And we're going to hike in the Moorish area. Like, it's just going to be beautiful. And it poured sideways, like sideways rain. And I still made us go. And we didn't hike, but I got out and I took pictures because that that story has meant so much. Like it's about, it's, it's a rom-com, of course, it's hilarious. And Lisa Kudrow is amazing um, as a supporting character, but it's like love and loss and, and overcoming loss and, and falling in love again and opening yourself up to that. So speaking of tropes, like second, 
second chance romances or chef's kiss as well. Yeah. I'd say that's one of my go-tos. How about you? Do you have one? I love you. Uh, You know what? My favorite, I'm starting to realize wasn't actually a rom-com, I guess. (laughs) According to some people, I love Sleepless in Seattle, which I know is a lot of people's like least favorite Nora Ephron's and I get it, but I love that movie. Hands down. It's one of my repeats. And and so is You've Got Mail, obviously, but um, no, I can't, I don't know. I, it's up there as one of the tops and it has to be rom-com. I mean, oh gosh, I'm going to blank on her name right now, but this, uh, her best friend, Meg Ryan's best friend in it. Um, Rosie O'Donnell. She's great. Oh oh my God. She, she carries it and, and his wife is in it. Oh, they do everything right. It's so good. Yeah. It's such a good movie. Um, okay. Tell me the last song that got stuck in your head. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's called all for you. Um, and it's this, that the singer's name is Kian DeCrow. Um, so the coolest part for me about traveling with this teen daughter, and one of the coolest things anyway, is that we've been listening to the radio and she's such a music oriented person, um, that we're learning, you know, we're, we're here for seven weeks. Um, we're learning the songs. So when we went to this concert, we went to see Dermot Kennedy together. That was like her thing, right? Her bucket list thing. Um, and the opener, the opening act was a guy that we've heard on the radio the whole time we've been here. Um, and so I kid you not, Brie, I have been singing that song and it's so sweet. It's so sad though. It's like a breakup song, but it's oh so good. So those are some of the best. Yeah. yeah, It's just (laughs) lovely. And it's, you know, it catches in your head. I should have done it all for you. Well, that's the last song that got stuck in your head. Tell me one of the songs that would be on the soundtrack to your life. Oh my gosh. Um, fast car, Tracy Chapman. Oh, yeah. oh, I haven't heard Tracy Chapman in so long. Okay. Oh, that's she's <laughs> worth revisiting. And, and it's so neat. Like, I don't know, this is like a tangent. Um, and, but that would for sure be, be on the soundtrack of my life. But, um, like all of these old, older 80s singers that we knew, or maybe even before our time, are making this resurgence because of, you know, pop culture today. And Tracy Chapman just recently, like, spoke out about, um, oh gosh, what's his face? Uh, Luke Holmes, I think, just did a, re, um, a remake of it. Which is good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Really good. But because of that, she's seeing this resurgence and gosh, she's worth re-listening to some of her stuff. She's so good. Uh, okay. So tell me one of your most read authors. Ooh, uh, Jodi Picoult going back. Oh, you're um, a Jodi fan. I am. Um, yeah, I really am. Um, I haven't read much by her, but what I have it's been really good. I like it over here with the, with the Jody fans. Oh, totally. Drama central um, and really relatable human conflict. Um, and I think that's like where my dark and twisty writing comes from that's transferred over to romance. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, Terry, Terry Wilson for sure. Um, in terms of romance, like I will read anything. Terry writes in in any publishing form. She's so good. Uh, And she does it seamlessly. Like she has a distinct Terry voice. Um, She does. She does. I just love how girly Terry is. I've told her like, I just love how unapologetically girly you are. (laughs) Not not only unapologetically 
you know, I, I've, I've always, I wanted to be, you know, Maisie Yates as well. I, I think that was such a great thing that you said earlier to be the next Maisie Yates would be huge. Cause I think I'm a lot like Maisie Yates, like in terms of my day-to-day life and very busy and, and, um, and I want this career to be successful. Um, but secretly I would love to be Terry. I just could never pull that off. Like she not only is unapologetically, but she is so perfectly, uh, herself, like no yeah. one could replicate. Terry. Yeah. She's pretty great. <laughs> well, tell me one book that you wish you could have the experience of rereading again for the first time. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, so there, one of my favorite romances of all time is a British author, Jeanette Winterson. Um, and she won the Booker Prize with one of her other books, but someone turned me on to like 15 years ago, this book called Written on the Body. Um, and my copy of it, because I reread it every year, is like taped together, like sticky taped. And that's the only thing. I love a taped together book. I love it. It's <laughs> oh, so good. And every time I read it, I find something new to appreciate. And also because I'm growing as a person and and so I find a new new item to love. But to reread it again for the first time now at 42 years old would be like, I don't know. I think it would be incredible because it's a genderless narrator in first person. So you, you don't know, you know, uh, and you get to make up your own, I guess, idea. Cause at one point the narrator, um, was dating a man and is now in love with this married woman, which sounds very taboo and horrible till you read it and realize they're perfect together. It's so great. And it's, lyrical and magical and everything that a romance should be like the pining just comes off the page. Oh, I could, yeah, I could rave. How about you? <laughs> Do you have a book you would reread? You would want to reread for the first time? Oh, I think it would be uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier just because, <laughs> I mean, for the book is fantastic, but I think that is the book that I have the most nostalgia with. Like oh. I read it in eighth grade English class. And I, at the time I went to a Catholic school and so they separated us. Boys went to one class, girls went to one class <laughs> and I can still see little Miss Turner in her little suit oh. outfit. She smelled like cigarettes and her voice was like <laughs> that deep, like Lucille ball later in life type <laughs> voice. And she loved that book. And oh. years later, like we're all late 30s now me and so many of my girlfriends that I have kept in touch with still reread that book and it's like I I don't know it feels like a connection thing it's like we haven't seen each other probably since eighth grade for a lot of us but like that is the connection that we still have like we'll all admit like oh yeah I reread this book or like I've some of them have reread everything by her at this point and it's like at the time it was no big deal, right? It was like required reading, but here we are years later, we all still rave about that book. So I don't know if I could like go back to time and place, maybe it would be that. Oh, but I love that. And you just hammered home the, what reading does, right? Like it's still after all these years connecting you and these people that you haven't seen and connecting you to your memories. It's so cool. Well, can you tell everybody where we can be keeping up with you online? You have a newsletter, please plug your newsletter. Oh my gosh. This is the worst thing in the world to go on your dream podcast and not have your newsletter ready yet. But I, I promise it's for a good reason. It's because I've been writing all of these books and, and keep <laughs> yes. saying, write your darn newsletter. And I'm like, I will. 
as soon as I turn in these revisions that are due Monday, <laughs> or I will as soon as I, you know, fill in the blank. So I don't have a newsletter yet, but you can keep in touch with me um, at Christine Lynn Author, that's with a K, at Gmail. And then um, I also am on Twitter as Christine L. Author. So please reach out. I would love to hear from all of you, um, especially if, um, if there's anyone who would like an advanced copy of these books that are coming out. Um, but thank you so much for connecting me with readers and with you. This is truly a dream. I can't even tell you.